Very good. And just for those of you in the seats, please don't try and bow. You'll hit the person in front. <laughs> and if there's no one in front of you in the front seats, if you try and bow, you'll probably fall off. So sometimes just put your hands up if you really want to. But anyhow, uh, the usual announcement that welcome to the ongoing experts, almost enlightened meditation group. <laughs> and those are coming for the first time. Uh, the introduction to meditation class is in the room to my right. Uh, you can see the door is open then and some people are already in there. They started early, which is amazing. So that's for, the on, that's for the introduction, a series of four classes to get into meditation for the first time. This class, okay, very good. This one is for the experts. <laughs> and the reason we say that is because there's one way of teaching meditation for those who haven't meditated much at all. And if you've meditated quite a bit already, we need some more deeper teachings so that we can become more aware and more joyful. The joy in meditation is something I often bring up because it's the joy which keeps the attention on the object. You can see that some people say, oh, my mind wanders off all over the place. But if you watch a movie or watch a sports match or something you're really interested in, you can stay watching that for hours. So it's not the fact that you're not interested, that uh, you can't focus on things. The point is you can't get enough energy and joy from what you're doing and that means the mind wanders off looking for something else to satisfy it. So in this meditation which you know, we teach here, we always try to make it pleasant, even joyful, comfortable, which is why I just see that one of the people sitting in front of me Aurora, she has got two teddy bears in her lap. You must have noticed that. And if you want to know why, it's because if you hold a teddy bear, it makes you feel comfortable, safe, and it brings that sense of joy to you. It adds that little bit of kindness to the meditation. And that kindness which we add to the meditation is kind of essential. One of the teachers of meditation is still alive and he uh, stayed arranged retreat over at Bodhinyana Monastery in Serpentine many years ago. That was Ajahn Ganha. And Ajahn Ganha is a very, very kind monk, but he would always teach meditation. When you're doing meditation, one method is to breathe in, breathe in very beautiful breath and breathe out very beautiful breath as beautiful, as happy as you can make it. And sometimes people wondered, why do you say that, to breathe in a very joyful, beautiful breath? And the reason is because adding that happiness to that breath in the meditation, that makes you more aware of that object of meditation which you choose. In the meditation we teach here, we say, yes, be aware of your body, first of all. Do this sweeping of the body in order to relax it and bring it joy and happiness. You've often heard me say that when I meditate, I relax my body so much, it starts to feel delightful. 
you can actually experience a joy with the body. It feels good. And that is what is supposed to happen. Sometimes people go off to some resort somewhere and go in one of these recliners by the beach and oh, there's no pressure on their body at all. Or they go and have a massage, or they go in a hot tub, no, hot tub is not the right word for today, in a cool tub or something. <laughs> and the whole body relaxes to the max, and it feels good. This is one of the reasons why there are certain happinesses and joys which we haven't recognized yet. And when we start to recognize them and see them, they get bigger. And so when my body starts to relax, I mean really relax, everything inside it feels so at ease and at peace. To the point that you look through the body and it's, no, I'm 72 years old now, or 71 in Asian tradition, 72. But, you know, my body is pretty fit and healthy. And it feels good. So when I scan through my body, I'm looking for any place which is tense, which is tight, and if I find any tightness there, just focus in on it. And I know how to do this, I've been doing this for a long time now. When I focus on that part of the body, I know how to relax it, take away any tension, not resist anything, just let it be, and let it open up, let it expand, rather than trying to scrunch it, as if that would get rid of the pain, or ache, or tension. And when I relax it to that degree, it all feels just really at ease. And when it feels at ease, my whole body just feels like joyful. It's a boost of energy. And by focusing on that boost of energy, what happens now is that when my body is, uh, uh, has uh, relaxed, when I think it's relaxed, I focus on the energy, and you get deeper in, in relaxation. My body even relaxes further. If you want to know how to relax, see if you can notice the joy of relaxation, and everything gets very open and very smooth. And then, of course, once the body is at ease, it's much easier to be able to just watch your mind. And first of all, as I've often said, you tell people to watch the mind, and what is the mind? In order for you to give you an understanding of what your mind is, uh, for those people who want to join in in this exercise, I'm going to ask, ask you a simple question, are you happy or are you sad? A simple question, if you're happy, please put up your right hand. If you're sad, your left hand. So. Are you happy? Most people put their hands up. Keep it up, don't put it down here. Now please, with your index finger, please point to the happiness for me. <laughs> Where is it? <laughs> you were happy, but the point is, you can't locate it in your body. You haven't got a happy toe. It's not your ear which is happy not your nose, where is that happiness located? And the reason I do this is to make you understand that the happiness does not lie in your body. The happiness is in your mind. And where is your mind? Don't look for it in the body. 
It's in a, basically, it's there, you can feel it, but you can't really locate it. If you're very upset and angry, where is that anger? In your head? Really? You've got an angry head? That would be very easy to deal with anger then. Just have a lobotomy and then you don't get angry anymore. Take your brain out. <laughs> oh, no, anger is it's not in the body, it's in the mind. Happiness is not in the body, in the mind. When you're, you have love, you know, you may be with a little cat or a dog you love to bits. And where do you feel that love? You can't, sometimes it's all over the body. So, you know, it's not really in the body. So this is learning that the thing which we call the mind, which is really important, this is where those things are located. I usually use a simile, how do you know what a garden is? A garden is known because it's got bushes and flowers and little paths, maybe a pond. It's by what is in the garden that what describes and defines what a garden is. So what is a mind? The mind is the place where there's joy, fear, anger, anxiety, peace, all those things which you know, live in the mind. If you can see any one of those, what you're looking at is an aspect of the mind. So once we've relaxed the body, then we can have an opportunity to explore this thing which we call the mind. It's one of the reasons why, you know, after we've done the, just the relaxation of the body and notice that joy of relaxation, even noticing that joy of relaxation, that, that is a mental thing too, believe it or not. And then I ask you to feel peaceful. How peaceful are you? What you're doing now, you're noticing one of the, uh, the things which define the mind. It's peacefulness, or it's um, disturbance. That's all lives in the mind, not in the body. The body might sort of uh, cause that, but the peace or the anxiety, the restlessness, that lives in the mind. So you're starting to know the mind. And as you know the mind, in the West we don't have much language to describe the mind. That is helpful, because it means instead of trying to know that you've got a pain, it's a burning pain, an aching pain, a throbbing pain, we have so many words for that, but in the mind, you don't need to have a word to describe it, you just know it. And this is where we go to another level of wisdom, of knowing rather than giving things a name. And the, the greatest story behind this, which I always tell on retreats, was that of, please excuse me if you heard it before, but it's a great story. Lao Tzu, when he was alive, he had a little, uh, they call it like almost like a monastery, a, a teaching place. And every evening he would go on a walk for exercise. He'd take a student with him as one student, but on the walk with the teacher, the golden rule was you could not talk. You had to be silent. So this young student went with the master for the first time. When they got to 
um, a ridge in the mountains. It was at sunset, and the sunset was gorgeous. And the student just was overcome by the beauty of the sunset and blurted out, what a beautiful sunset. He'd broken the golden rule of silence. The teacher turned around and then went back to the monastery. When he got back there, so then the teacher could speak and said, that young man is not allowed to go on a walk with me ever again. He's banned for life. Which was in a pretty sort of uh, fierce punishment. So all the friends of this young student, they asked the teacher, please, now be a bit more compassionate. Anyway, they said, what is wrong with saying what a beautiful sunset? And this is the point of the story. The teacher said, when he said what a beautiful sunset, he wasn't aware of the sunset anymore. He was only aware of the words. When I first heard that, you know, I got the message very easily. If you say, what a beautiful sunset, you're not watching the sunset anymore. You're watching the description, the words. It's one step away from reality. It's one of the reasons why in meditation, after a while, we stop trying to describe anything to ourselves. We notice it in silence. And don't think that without giving things a name, you won't remember them. You remember these experiences very clearly, the more still and powerful your, your mindfulness is. Just like the memory, one of the biggest times, that we, well the easiest times we remember things, is when we are forced to be aware because our life is threatened in a sort of close car accident or something, you know, when you're attacked or something, when you're traumatized. People remember that so easily because their mindfulness is extremely strong. When you're meditating, you also get similar strong mindfulness, strong awareness. You can't forget what's happening. But it's extremely pleasant. They don't have a word for that the word for um, strong awareness when it's really pleasant. But nevertheless, that's what happens. So some of these meditations you can remember so easily. You don't have to name them. And quite frankly, when you learn how to be silent and observe things with silence, not give, thing, give names to things, life becomes so much more easy and joyful. You can experience a sunset and all the colors without needing to know what the names are. That's still trying to come in. Is it open? No, the doors are locked. Okay, it's okay, one of the doors are open. No, we're all locked in here, goodness gracious. Please come in. And just to let people know, this is the ongoing meditation class. For those of you who come for the introduction to meditation class, that is happening in the room to my right. This is the ongoing class. 
And so for the ongoing class, please remember, come early next week. <laughs> Otherwise you might get locked out. <laughs> I don't know why the doors are locked. One of the nice things about meditation, a free and easy part of meditation is not just to make it popular, it's an essential part of it. So in other words, if you feel that things aren't going well, you can move, you can go out when you need to, you can stay if you need to. Sometimes, it's happened here, sometimes some people have got into such deep meditation here, after we've finished, and after people ask questions, they're still sitting here meditating. Five, five thirty, six. Because they get very deep in meditation. And we don't want to disturb them. So that's actually what happens sometimes. But anyway, so we keep it natural, keep it easy, but also keep it silent. You know, when you do get into silence, that is one time when you do lose your um, imprisonment in time. I use that very, uh, very uh, deliberately. Sometimes time is a prison for us. We have to get here at a certain time, we have to leave at a certain time. It's actually, you know, we, we lose a lot of freedom. But when you do meditate, after a while you lose all your perceptions of time. The way I've sort of tried to describe it is what you think time is, is a distance between the past and the present, distance between the present and the future, or distance between the past and the future. When it's only the present moment, you've discarded the past and the future. Your ideas of time get so, so different, they almost kind of disappear. There's no distance anymore. You're like settle, sitting down in the present moment, having a beautiful time. Now just come back to the beautiful time, because if it's happy, if you're joyful, then you find that you don't need to put any effort into staying in the present moment. It's staying silent. It's so joyful, you don't want to disturb the peace. That joy is there, just please focus on it. Okay, so that's just a little introduction. So now we're going to meditate for about 40, 45 minutes. And if you haven't meditated for so long before, if you need to move during the meditation, that's fine. Just move very mindfully, carefully, and don't make any noise. Okay, so here we go, a nice peaceful meditation. Very good. Here we go. So now, close your eyes. When you close your eyes, you do become much more aware of your body. And straight away, I've discovered that my cushion is really in a terrible position. I'm just going to move my cushion further. And that does feel better.
with my eyes closed, I do start paying attention to the lower part of my body. To the feet. It's like I check the feet to make sure that every part of the foot is in a good position. And if it's not in a good position, I adjust it, move it. And even with a small thing but like my feet, I don't go onto the next part of my body, my ankles, until I can feel those feet are comfortable. I get to know the feeling of comfort, of ease, of peace. Delightful feeling. Sometimes I call it like a tingling feeling in my feet. I'm not there yet, so I'm still adjusting. And then I move on to my ankles, make sure they're okay. And up my lower legs, my calves. I experience the sensations there. I've done this many times, so I know which sensation tells me that it needs more adjustment and which sensation tells me they're fine. I will not pass that part of my body until I can feel it's fine. It's at ease. And sometimes it's hard to give these experiences names. But I don't need to, I just know the sensations, know that it's, that it's comfortable. And I go past those uh, lower leg feelings and knee feelings to my thighs. When I'm aware I've got contact with that part of my body, then I can relax it. A lot of times it's not moving the body, it's just changing my attitude to that part of the body to one of care and kindness. Opening the door of my heart to my thighs. Sounds a bit weird, what it means is having this kindness and letting it be. And I usually feel the sensations in my legs relax. 
It's sometimes amazing how much you can relax these parts of your body just with mindfulness and kindness. And even when some of those bodily parts are aching or in pain or fever or something, sometimes you can focus on those parts of the body and keep focusing until they all get so relaxed, the ache, the pain or the fever disappears. It just fades away. And then I go to my butt, sitting on the cushion. I'm glad I adjusted the cushion at the beginning. Now my butt is reasonably comfortable. And for my back, stretch my back a bit to get it into a, a more comfortable position. It works for me. But then I go up the inside of my body, from the torso, from the bottom of the torso, making sure there's no indigestion by relaxing all those digestive tubes, <laughs> feeling them first of all, just checking that everything's okay. I do feel any unpleasant sensation, being kind, not scrunching up, but opening out. Till I get to my stomach, I feel it as best I can, and relax it. making sure my tummy is at ease. Going further up to my lungs. Feeling them, but not telling them what to do. And I'm not a control freak. I'm a friend to my body, not a dictator. And continue up the body, go past the heart. Then eventually I get to my shoulders. They're surprisingly relaxed at the moment. So I go down the arms, past the elbows, the wrists and the hands. When I get to my hands, I always make sure the fingers are in a good position. There are so many nerve endings on the fingers. <coughs> so it's, a lot, a lot of, it's easy to feel the fingers. I want to make sure they're as comfortable as possible. 
Sometimes to do that, it's like I ask the fingers, how are you? Do you need to be adjusted? When I ask that question, it's not that the fingers can speak, it's just a skillful means of directing your mindfulness to the fingers. And what they suggest, I follow. And my hands with the fingers are just really at ease now. I can tell it's like a, a delightful feeling again. And I go back up to my shoulders and my neck, making sure the head is well balanced on top of the neck, not too far forward, not too far back, not to the left or right, but balanced. And then to the head. And this is where I start to move towards the mind. Because I know how the mind is, any tension there, any fear, that actually tightens the muscles around the eyes, the nose or the mouth. But when my mind is at peace, the nose muscles relax. So by being aware of the muscles on my face and learning how to relax them, so I feel totally at ease. It's also a way of preparing the mind to relax ever more deeply. It also feels comfortable. So before I leave my body and go to the mind, I find awareness to the whole body really helpful, like joining everything up. And this is where I just stay with the full awareness of my body until it relaxes so much I can feel that delight of relaxation. Shows me this first part of the meditation has been completed. And I can now move to the mind. How peaceful am I? If you have some fear of the future, some unpleasantness from the past, that can come into the present moment and destroy your meditation. So this time especially, I let go of all my past. Things I'm proud of, things I'm ashamed of, things which I think are unfinished or finished. I let everything go from the past. And I let everything go from the future. That story of the two heavy bags, 
one with the letters P-A-S-T written on the outside, one with the letters F-U-T-U-R-E written on the outside. We carry them around too much. Now you let both of those bags down to the ground. So you can move your arms away, your hands away. They're safe. No one's going to take them away. But you're going to rest from carrying the burden of the past or the fear and worry about the future. When you put them down, you're standing in this amazing place between the past and the future, the present moment. It's a place of freedom. When you put those bags down, it's like the past can't reach you. You realize that now is where the future is being made. So you can enjoy and value whatever's happening right now. And if you can not give this moment a name, just know it silently, it gets even more delightful. You're going to silent, present moment awareness. And it's usually in this state of silent, present momentless awareness inside. You can become aware of the breath. You know the breath coming in or going out. Later on, you can know these beautiful lights which come in the mind, limiters. And these become extremely joyful. So don't be afraid. Stay in this moment. Shh. Be silent, as I will now be.
getting close now to the end of the meditation. Please know how you feel inside. How peaceful, how calm your mind is. You can know that because this thing we call the will, the doer, the choice, is so happy. It doesn't need to do anything. You don't need to give instructions. It's like on autopilot. How does your body feel? Forty-five minutes of stillness gives some very deep relaxation to your body. I do always include checking your peace levels and relaxation level at the end of a meditation so you can see the value. Meditation actually works. All meditations. And that gives you the encouragement to meditate a lot when you notice the benefits. So I'm now going to ring the gong three times as usual. When the third ringing of the gong disappears, it's time to come out of the meditation. Yes, please. Because yesterday the questions <coughs> from overseas were disturbed by the arrival of the lions. <coughs> this is nice. First question, my mind keeps inclining towards a meditation state even when I am not sitting in my daily life. I feel like I am too alert and emotionally overwhelmed with sleep disturbances. How to deal with this? That if your mind inclines towards meditation, please just be able to sit down and let the mind incline where it finds its peace and happiness. Too alert, I'm not sure what you mean by too alert. 
you can't be too alert as far as I know. Emotionally overwhelmed, now there's the point. If you're emotionally overwhelmed with negative emotions, then there is something wrong with the meditation, because usually if you're inclined towards a meditation, what you are usually inclined towards is peace and kindness and joy. And those emotional states don't overwhelm you. They almost like feed you with wonderful energy. Sleep disturbances, again, if you know, there are times when you really do get into some nice meditations and then sometimes you don't need to sleep that much. The reason is because your brain can rest, your mind is alert and when you get into some deep meditations just like the body is really relaxed and the brain is a bodily thing which means when you come out of the meditation it's like your brain is rested. It happened many, many times that whenever I go on a retreat, especially a personal retreat, uh, when I don't have to teach, when I can meditate a lot, my sleep requirements just go down. You don't need to sleep so much. Just the body just says, look, you know, I've been uh, energized, I've been relaxed and restored, just because I've been meditating. So if you find you, know, you don't need so much sleep, that's natural, that's normal. And it's, but if it's disturbing sleep, I'm not quite sure what type of meditation you are doing, but usually if there is any problems in the meditation, it's commonly because you're trying to do something, that you're um, trying to control the body or aim for something. And that trying is not allowing the mind to relax. I've done this so many times, you've seen it almost every other week. How do I get this water to be still? You can't hold it to be still, you can't focus and concentrate, all you do is just put it down. When I put it down, after a few seconds it stops moving. And that's so relaxing, so easy, my mind doesn't do any work at all. My brain is at ease. That's why when you really know how to meditate, it does become effortless. And with effortlessness, you know, there's no disappointments. Because disappointments, when you put forth some effort and you don't get what you want, or you get something which you don't want. But when all the effort is taken away, the mind is at peace. And if it does get overwhelmed, it's overwhelmed with something which is beautiful peace and kindness and stillness. So anyway, that's the best advice I can give at this moment. The next one is from Copenhagen. I have chronic pain. How can I overcome physical pain while meditating? First of all, don't make the goal of overcoming physical pain. If that becomes a goal of yours, it just gives you more mental pain to accompany the physical pain. So instead, just you have chronic pain, be with it. Learn not to fight it, to make peace with it. And you think, Ajahn Bhav, you don't know what chronic pain is. But when you make peace with it, you find you're taking away what the Buddha called that second thorn or second dart, 
whenever there's anything painful, there's a physical dart of thorn and a mental reaction to it. With chronic pain, that's one thing you can always do, take away the uh, the mental reaction to it. It can be done. I often tell the story of many years ago, it was Greg, who was, no sorry, it was Greg's friend, that uh, he had such chronic pain, so intense, that in the Osborne Park Hospital here in Perth, that he was one of the few people allowed any drug things which other people, you know, they'd be put in jail for, he could take that uh, without any penalty because his pain was extreme. And he told me that through you know, MRI scans, the type of pain he was experiencing constantly was exactly the same as if they took my arm and cut it off with a chainsaw, that degree of pain. And he said, the doctors and nurses or whatever, they allowed him to say that to give other people uh, an understanding of the level of pain. Oh, Sue, you used, to, you used to work in Osborne Park Hospital. You know that that was a big pain clinic and he was one of the, the people with a lot of chronic pain. But then I also remember, you know, that he had to deal with that and he dealt with it, you know, through the meditation and he was one of the guys who came to me one day, a big smile on his face and said, I've finally done it. I said, what? And I knew what he was kind of up to. I got close to guessing. You got the ECG flat. He said, no, no, I did that weeks ago. I have the EEG flat now. He could actually meditate and his brain became so still. His mind was very alert. And in those states, there was no feeling of pain whatsoever. So, now there is a way of dealing with it. And he said if it wasn't for the chronic pain which he experienced, he would never manage to get into such deep meditation states. There's another gentleman here some years ago, which more people may remember. He passed away now, that was old one story. When he was a... Um, a soldier, he had chronic migraines. And the only way he could overcome those migraines was sitting in a dark place and going deep inside himself. He never realized until later on that what he was doing is going into deep meditations. He had to because the only place he could go where he didn't feel the awful pain of the, the migraine. So I would ask you, you don't overcome the physical pain, you go deep inside it. Go to it, into its center. Don't try and go to some place where the pain isn't. This one, next one from Borneo. You said meditation means not wanting anything. That's the best meditation. But you did move to Thailand to learn it, meaning you wanted. Yes, I did want when I was young. How do we comprehend this? How is doing nothing in the path different from being lazy? Being lazy is not doing nothing. Being lazy is you sit down there and you turn on a radio or these days you turn on your iPhone and you sort of do things. You're trying to fill in the gaps. Doing nothing means you're totally in this moment. 
not wanting to go anywhere. Just being here. You go deep inside it. From the USA, why is it so important to cool down, come out slowly from a meditation in your view? This I just quote Ajahn Chah, he said, if you just come out quickly from a meditation, it's like pouring hot water into a cool glass. The glass can crack. And anyway, it's natural to come out slowly. You can't do anything different. Your willpower, your choice, your doing has been subdued. And when it's been subdued, it's hard to turn it on again. When you park your car, you can't just put it into fourth gear straight away when you turn it on. You just go up the gear slowly, you warm it up, and then it can uh, drive uh, carefully for you. So it's good to cool down, come out slowly from a meditation, otherwise you'll crack the engine. Another question from Germany. If the nimitta appears before the hearing is completely gone, should the nimitta then be ignored or should one try to keep the awareness on it? Don't try and do anything. If the nimitta is strong, it will stay. So your job at this stage again is to do nothing, just to be totally passive and see what happens. Be aware and being kind. Stay in this moment where you can't choose. Sometimes that happens, nimitta appears very quickly hearing is still there, and see what happens. If the nimitta, if your peace is strong enough, then the nimitta will grow and grow and grow and become dominant and the hearing will get further and further away from you. Okay, now questions from the floor here. Has anyone got a question they would like to ask? Okay, actually we're four minutes early. I think that's okay, finishing early. There's usually some questions afterwards, so we'll see what happens after the meditation session is formally completed. So now we can bow three times if you wish, and then we can do what the next part of our afternoon asks us to do. Have a nice time. <laughs>